Thank you so much for having me here. Um, Restore Church, we are in the International District of Albuquerque, if you haven't heard about us. I got to share here a while back um, on your Missions Emphasis Sunday in one of the classes, just getting to share about church planting and, and what it looks like to plant in a difficult place. Um, and so I thank you for your prayers. Uh, your pastors have been very kind to me and our church, and so we're just really thankful for, for your church as well. Um, and so thank you for having us here. We are plugging away in the International District, just seeing um, the difficulties of the area and praying for, for the grace of God and, and the hope of the gospel to continue to shine a light in, in the dark area that we are in. And so if you would, just keep praying for us, with us, for that. We really appreciate it. Well, I, I saw that you, or Stephen told me that you were doing a, a series through Psalms, and, and luckily, uh, we're just going to keep that rolling this week with Psalm 34. So if you have your Bibles, you can start turning there in your Bibles. Um, we are we're looking at just a beautiful psalm where David, King David, is encouraging the people to worship God. Now, lots of psalms were written by lots of different people. Sometimes we know who, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we get the occasion why it was written. Sometimes we, we don't. Psalm 35 just says, of David. But Psalm 34 here, we get the specific occasion of, of what David was praising God for, of what David was encouraging the people to worship God for. And in the, the heading that comes with the Bible, not the one that was added, but it says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. We see this story in 1 Samuel, the end of 1 Samuel 21 and the beginning of 1 Samuel 22. David was anointed king of Israel, but he was not king yet. Saul was still king, and he was bitter and jealous and angry, and he was constantly trying to kill David. So, one of these occasions, Saul is trying to kill King David. David before he's king, and David runs. David, for some reason, thought it would be a great idea to run right to their, their neighbors and great enemies, the Philistines. He thought maybe if they think I'm, a, I'm Saul's enemy, they'll, they'll let me in. But he shows up, we see in 1 Samuel 21, and, and the, the king's servants are bringing him to see the king. But David overhears them talking to the king, and he, and he says, and he hears them say, isn't, isn't this the king of Israel, the one who's already anointed king? Isn't he the one that's going to be king anyways? There are enemies, right? Isn't this the one that they sing, uh, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands? Isn't that this guy? He's talking about killing us. Why are we letting him in? So David is like, ooh, I am in trouble. I made a mistake. So the, the story is, is an amazing one. It, it just says he, he changed his behavior here. But we see in, in 1 Samuel 21 that David starts to act like a crazy person. Literally starts acting like he lost his mind. He's spitting down his beard. He's scratching at the walls, just acting like he's nuts, like he's lost it. The funny thing is that it worked. The king 
It's like, what is this crazy guy doing here? Don't we have enough crazy people in our own country? And so cue like any cartoon where someone is thrown out of the room, grabbed by his collar, grabbed by his pants, and toss him out. Get out of here, David. And God saved David through that. And then he goes and runs and hides in some caves instead. But David, in the midst of all that, he sees God's hand in saving him. They could have known who he was and killed him on the spot. He was an enemy. He had killed many Philistines. And there he was in their hands. They could have taken him and killed him. But instead, David sees God delivering him. And so he writes Psalm 34 as a psalm of praise. We'll see that Psalm 34 follows this progression as David calls the people to worship God along with him. And he, he follows this. He says, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm magnifying the Lord. Here's why. Because he, he answered me. You should do this too. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He goes on. He says, here's how. And it's through the fear of the Lord. And then finally, here's why again. And it's because the Lord redeems. He's a saving God. So we are going to taste and see that the Lord is good today as we look at Psalm 34. Pray with me and we'll jump in. God, thank you that you are, you are good. You are a good God that delivers, that saves, that protects and provides your for your people, God. Let us see and rejoice in your goodness today. Let us taste and see. Let us experience it as we look at your word today. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. So David starts out calling the people to worship, much like Danny did at the beginning of the service, just calling us to, to think on God and his goodness and to, to join in together. So we've seen why God saved David from imminent death. It was literally very possible that he could have been killed right then and there, but God saved him. And so he starts out by saying, I'm doing this. I magnify the Lord. He says in verse 1 through 3, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. So David, in response to the salvation, the physical salvation from death that he received from the Lord, says, I will bless the Lord at all times. This blesses, I'm going to speak well of God. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to spread his praises around and it's not just, I will bless the Lord for an hour and a half on Sundays. It's, I will bless the Lord at all times. David is, is encouraging the people to join him in a lifestyle of worship to this saving God. And that's the invitation for us all today. Oftentimes, I think in the church, if you've been around for a while, some of this can become kind of academic. We know what we know. We know that Jesus is Savior, Lord, that he's saved us from our sins by dying on the cross, but often it, it, it kind of ends at head knowledge. We kind of miss out on the, the emotive, the emotional part of this, 
that this is supposed to stir us to heartfelt lives of worship to God. We miss it sometimes. Sometimes we just get so familiar with things, right, that it it just becomes rote or cold sometimes. Well, Well, let's let David encourage us, warm our hearts up to the goodness of God. And so he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually in my mouth, always. When I'm going, when I'm coming, when I'm working, when I'm when I'm waking every moment, he says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. He's the one that, that figured out the idea to change his, his behavior. He's the one that acted like a crazy person and got away, but he could have taken the credit for this. Yeah, I was smart. I acted like a crazy person and I got away. Look what I did. Look what I did. But no, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. He says, let the humble hear and be glad. Like we see in the New Testament, it says, humble yourselves at the right, at, before the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, he will exalt you. David knew this was not the time for self-exaltation, but it was calling us to humble ourselves, trusting that God would exalt him at the right time, and he would. So he says, let the humble hear and be glad. It's not about us. It's about God and His greatness, God and His deliverance, God and His salvation. And so here's the invitation. He says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Magnify. God is big. He doesn't need us with little magnifying glasses or microscopes. What He's saying is spread His praise that more and more people would know that there is one true God and he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. That it would exponentially grow throughout the world until all the earth is covered with the praise of the Lord. That's what David is saying when he says, magnify the Lord with me. Sing his praises so the whole world will hear. Let us together exalt his name. We see it in Ephesians, in Colossians, this call for the church And part of our discipleship is our musical worship. We sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs together, encouraging one another. Let us magnify the Lord together. Let us exalt his name. David, he's calling the people to worship God. Then he moves on and he says, here's why. Here's why. Because he answered me. So look at verses 4 through 7 with me. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So David is saying, this, I cried to God. This is what happened. I was going to die. I cried to God, and God heard me and answered me. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from my fears, the fear of certain death. And he gives us this encouragement. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. That idea of the radiant face makes me think of Moses when he was in the presence of God on the mountain and he came down literally glowing. 
being in the presence of God day in and day out in the church should lead to a joy that is visible to those around us. Those who look on Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. God is faithful to fulfill what He promises. He promises He will come for His people. He will do it. He promises to destroy all evil in the world. He will do it. He promises that those who trust in Jesus are saved. He will do it. And so for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have the most reason to be joyful in this world. In the midst of sorrows, Yes. In the midst of happy times, yes. We have the most reason to be joyful. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. He says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And this hope in verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. The powerful God of the universe cares about those who trust him, will save those in their troubles. And we'll look at the ultimate deliverance that we'll see from God in a moment. But David, he's rejoicing because God heard him and saved him from a very real, very dangerous situation. He's remembering God's faithfulness to him. It's a great practice for all of us in the joy, in the sorrow, to remember God's goodness, his faithfulness to us. David moves on and he says, you should do this too. I sought the Lord and he answered me. You should do this too. So he says in verse eight, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. My family has been watching a lot of baking shows on TV. Um, And there's always a point when somebody's got to test it, right? Somebody's got to take a bite. It may look beautiful. The cake may look amazing. We've been watching a Dr. Seuss baking show, so it's been just these incredible, just think of the pictures in Dr. Seuss books, these incredible cakes based on that. It may look great, but at some point, you've got to taste and see if it's actually good, right? It may look the, like the best cake ever, but it, if it tastes like garbage, you're not going to want it, right? No one's going to buy that cake. David is saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not that we get to define his goodness, but that when you put God to the test, you will experience the fact that he is good. That he is good. So taste and see. Put him to the test. We're all putting something to the test right now. The stage is holding me. The chairs that you're sitting in are holding you. You're putting them to the test. You are tasting and seeing that they are good chairs. And David is calling us to do the same thing with God. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The series is called Blessed, right? Blessed. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. We can run to God in whatever we're going through and experience his goodness for us. He promises us his comfort. He promises us his 
care. He promises us his, his refuge when we need to run to him. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The lions, the young lions suffer and want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, 33, when he was talking about the, providing the things that we need? Don't be anxious about those things, but seek first the kingdom of God, the fear of the Lord, putting him first, seeing him as most valuable, and humbling ourselves to seek him first, trusting that all those things that we need, that we worry about, that he will provide. The Lord is good. Taste and see. Seek him and put him to the test. Trust him. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness first and trust him to provide those things that he knows that you need. Taste and see. First Peter chapter 2, verse 3 really one through three, Peter says this to the, the dispersed church. He says, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Tasting that the Lord is good will leave us transformed. He will not put us to shame, but experiencing the Lord will leave us changed. Yeah. So David, he encourages the people to taste and see. And that's my encouragement for you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Call out to him in your hurts, in your trials, in your struggles, in your joys. Give him your thanks and see that he is good. Remember his goodness experience his goodness for you. And then David continues. He says, here's how. Here's how we glorify the Lord. And he said it a little bit in verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. But in 11 through 14, he says, come, O children, listen to me. Like a wise father teaching his people what they need to know. He says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What does it look like to actually Fear the Lord. Now that usually sounds like a, a negative thing, fearing something. But when we see God for who he is, the creator of the universe, perfect and holy, and we see ourselves for who we are, sinful and finite, then we have no choice but to humble ourselves before this mighty God. But look what David says. Verses 12 13 and 14, he says, What man is there who does, desires life and loves many days that he may see good? The fear of the Lord leads to good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Fearing the Lord means walking in his ways. And in that, as we keep our tongue from evil, our lips from speaking deceit, as we turn away from evil and do good, as we seek peace and pursue it, the promise is that we will experience God's goodness. We will see God's goodness in the days of our lives. 
Again, Peter must have had this in his mind as he was writing 1 Peter. Because in chapter 3, he quotes this verse exactly. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For, you were, for, this, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. We bless, and the promise is that we will receive blessing in return. And then he quotes verses 12 through 16, or 13 through 16, and he says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil to do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears open to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As we fear the Lord, as we walk in his ways, we will experience the goodness of God. David writes it. Peter repeats it, that we will see a blessing as we bless others and walk in the fear of the Lord. We will see God's goodness in our days. So he says, here's how we do it. We fear the Lord. And then he says, in this final section, he he says, here's why again. Because the Lord redeems. And what David is, is saying is, I experience God's goodness, his salvation, in a very specific way here. Taste and see that God is good. Call to him as a refuge and experience his deliverance for your lives as well. So we look at the final verses of Psalm 34 to see that the Lord redeems. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're brokenhearted. Maybe you feel crushed in spirit. Maybe you're rejoicing and praise God for that. But David is saying, in your trouble, in your trial, seek the Lord. Call out to him and find him in your trouble. Find him as a good refuge. It says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear toward their cry. Whenever it talks about God seeing somebody or hearing somebody, it usually continues with how God responds. God hears the cry. When the righteous cries for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. That's the the promise that, that we can. We can taste and see that the Lord is good. We can glorify Him. We can magnify Him together. We can bless His name together because He redeems. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus said, for they will be comforted. David finishes in 19 through 22. 
points to an ultimate delivery that we who have faith in Jesus will experience. It says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, but those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. We will experience trouble in this life. But Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the hope and the promise that whatever trials and pain and struggles that we experience in this life here and now, that God has overcome it and he will make all things new. He will restore, he will redeem those who trust in him. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And then there's this verse, verse 20. It points us forward to John chapter 19. It says, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. First, it points us back to the Passover as God is delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. Because the Passover lamb... While it was to be killed and eaten, none of its bones were to be broken. And then David says it here in Psalm 34. And then John, in chapter 19, as he's talking about Jesus dying on the cross, points us to our Savior who who bled his perfect blood for us so that we could be washed clean from our sins. But none of his bones were broken like the perfect sacrificial lamb. He died on the cross so that we could be forgiven our sins. John is sure to make that point in chapter 19. That Jesus was the one righteous one who was afflicted for us. That we who trust in Jesus do not have to be afflicted for our sin. Because Jesus bore it on the cross for our salvation, for our redemption. 21 says, affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus laid down his perfect life. He took our affliction on himself so that we would not have to receive the condemnation due to us because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. And if we've trusted in Jesus, he took that death on the cross for us. So what does that show us for for Psalm chapter 34? That if we are in Christ Jesus, if we have been washed by his blood, if we have been freed from any condemnation, if we have the hope of salvation and restoration, then we have the most to rejoice for. Magnify the Lord with me. Bless his name at all times. Worship him because he's worthy. 
an all-of-life, everyday kind of worship. Laying our lives down as a living sacrifice, as Romans 12 says. Because that is our spiritual worship. It is our acceptable worship to God. Because He's worthy. Because He's a God who redeems. He's a God who saves. He's a God who comforts. He's the only God worthy of our worship. But maybe you're in here and you haven't experienced God's goodness in your life. Maybe you have and you've just grown cold to it. Be reminded of the salvation that you have in Christ Jesus. But maybe you haven't put God to the test through faith in Jesus. Maybe you haven't trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, for salvation from that punishment that will come for all who were found apart from Jesus when he comes back. Well, let me encourage you, as David encouraged the people, taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience his deliverance. See his blessing. Fear the Lord and walk in his ways and see his goodness in your life. Turn and trust in Jesus. He's the only hope that we have and he will not disappoint. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. He is faithful and he will fulfill what he promises. Church, magnify the Lord with me. If you haven't experienced his goodness, taste and see. Put him to the test. He will not let you down. Pray with me now.